Today is the January 30th, 2022 meeting of Hope Bible Church. Steve Hogan's message is titled, Godly Attitudes, Part 2. If you'd like to give to our sermon audio ministry, please click the Give button on our sermon audio homepage. Thank you. This morning's reading is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 20 through 32. You are welcome to read along in a Bible you brought with you or to, uh, to use one that's in the pews there, or you're welcome to just listen. Hear the word of God. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible set of commands that you've given through the Apostle Paul to us. Come down through the centuries. The same God, the same transforming power by the Spirit who's in us to renew our mind by the word which you've given to us, a living and active word, a word that's able to cut between joint and marrow, that's able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart, that you might renew ourselves, cause us to walk in a Christ-like manner, to trust you and to be those who are trustworthy, Oh God, use this time today. I pray that you would fill Steve up with the power of your spirit to be able to speak forth the truth that you want to hear to us. I pray that you would prepare every heart, every mind that is out there to be able to focus on what it is that you have to say to each one of us. So we commit this time to you, our creator, and the one who has recreated us recreated us to be able to be in glory in your presence forevermore, blameless with great joy. And so we commit this time to you. Oh, God, help. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning. Glad you could be here with us at Hope Bible Church. Are you warm today? No? Yeah, the heater's trying to work here. It's not doing maybe the best job, but you got your coats on. I think you'll be all right. You know, that verse in Psalm 147, I think it is, is I've always liked this. It talks about the weather there, middle of that chapter. And this one phrase is, who can stand before his cold? And some of you might think it's really cold here, but I remember up north when it was 20 below, and that's before a wind chill, and you're outside. And I had to say, Lord, I can't do it. I was thinking of that verse. I, I said, I can't do it. I'd actually walk backwards because it was so strong against my face, brutally, brutally cold. Who can stand before his cold? But you know what I, what I like about this is that, that God can humble a, a whole city or, or the whole northeast this past, past weekend, I mean, with all the bad weather, God's in charge. He can put people in their place, and he does that. He does that oftentimes with weather and weather-related things. We are going through some different um, attitudes, character qualities. It's a list. You know what I find in the Bible is there's lists all over the place. you got Galatians 5 list. you got list of sins, list of this, that. Sometimes you go through lists because God has lists of things to talk about. And I just wanted to pull together some attitudes that I've never done this, I don't believe, just talking about different attitudes. We had like a number last week, but they're attitudes that God wants us to have that really are essential, whether at home or whether at work or with people. Uh, we, we need to have godly attitudes, different kinds of character qualities. And so last week we talked about some. I'll just mention those briefly. You can get the sheet back there. I believe it's there on the table that it's, it's got a uh, more developed, has them written out there. But we talked about 10 different attitudes about being wise, about being humble, about being courageous, about being patient, about being positive, about being attentive, about being loyal, and being faithful, and being holy, and also then being kind. So we're going to continue. We've got 10 more today. First one is integrity. A person who has integrity has solid moral principles and convictions, ones that are based on the Bible. Let me just explain this. He's one who's honest. He tells the truth. He doesn't lie. He does what is right. He, he's not deceptive. He, he doesn't cheat. He's one who's honorable and respective. It's of course, referred to he or she. Honorable and respective. One who has no obvious moral flaw. He's one who's dependable. He says he's going to do something, he does it. You can trust him. He's a faithful person. The word integrity is a big word. It's an important word. It includes a lot of different qualities. You go to First Timothy chapter 3, you talk about the qualities for an elder. And it doesn't use the word integrity, but there's another word there that I believe you can, similar. A person is above reproach. He's above reproach. That is, again, there's no obvious flaw in his life, but he's just a good, solid person before the Lord. Deuteronomy 18 is a chapter about, last part anyway, about how Moses was leading the people. And, and a lot of people to lead, two million. He's trying to do all the counsel himself, and it got too much. And his, his father Jethro says, hey, you better get some more men to help you out. So this is what he said, a real simple sense on the qualification. And it relates to integrity. Deuteronomy 18.21 says, Select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall then place these men over the people. So three things. Men of truth, they hate dishonest gain, and they're ones who fear God. These would be ones who have 
and integrity. So very important, this first one. Second one is, is be hardworking. This, of course, has to do with both physical work and it has to do with mental work. If you're, if you're working at a, as a physical job, you want to be one who is hardworking. It means working even when you're tired. Joshua 10, 9, there he's being a soldier. It says, so Joshua came upon them suddenly, that is upon the enemy, by marching all night. They're going 24 hours. That would have been tough, but they, they defeated the enemy. Next, it means working even, working without taking a lot of breaks. Just keep working. It means you're not working slowly. Not a slacker. Not a sluggard. You're not lazy. You're one who's working quickly. It means working hardly, with energy, with zeal. It says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. I think of hard work, and I think of my grandfather back in the 60s. Our family, we would, there and I, we'd go up to the farm, uh, a couple of us at a time, there's seven of us, and, and be there. And, and of course, in the summertime in Iowa, the sun's up at 5 a.m., maybe earlier. I mean, and so there you are, and the sun's coming through the window, and I could smell the bacon frying or the sausage frying, and I knew that my grandma was getting my grandfather breakfast early, 5.30. I stay there a little while longer, me and my brother, and then we get up and we go have breakfast ourselves. Then about 10 o'clock, my grandma says, you got to go take lunch to your grandfather out in the field. Again, you say, lunch at 10? Well, yeah, I've been up since 5, 5.30. This is 10 o'clock. They didn't call it dinner. This is lunch. You have breakfast, lunch, dinner, supper. That's where they get it from, okay? Lunch. So I take a sandwich or homemade bread, which is wonderful, summer sausage, typical meat thermos of hot coffee and then brownie or cookie or something like that. So you do, you know, and then he comes back about 12.30 for a big meal, biggest of the day, the dinner. And then he goes back out to work and back about five or six for supper. That's the way it was, six days a week. And I remember the Sundays he'd take a nap. He was tired. <laughs> he was working hard. It says in 2 Timothy 2, hard-working farmers should be the first to receive the share of the crops. Your job's more mental. Then it means your mind is engaged in your work. Your mind stays occupied with the work. It means you're thinking and you're using your brain. God's given each one of us a brain. He wants us to use it. Use it. Every day, use your brain. There's a lot of cells that really, I mean, for anybody, I don't care, the smartest person in the world, they never use them. A lot of unused brain cells. Plenty of space up there. God wants you to use your brain for his purposes. It means you don't daydream. You don't easily get distracted. You don't mentally disengage. You keep working. It means you don't give in to sinful temptations when you're working. It means you keep working even when you're mentally tired. All of you have some kind of desk job. Understand this. Your brain gets tired. It really can get tired. Mental fatigue, you learn to fight through the mental fatigue. And also, if you're working, at a mental job, you get physically tired too. You have to fight through it and keep working. That's the point, what I'm saying here. It means you're diligent. Word that sums up these qualities that we're talking about. You're steady, you're persistent, you persevere, you're energetic in your work. Hardworking person makes the most of his time. Makes the most of his time. He, you've heard this phrase, it's more of a reason. He multitasks. That's what he does. And oftentimes, the hardworking person, he's tired at the end of a day. And it's good to be tired. He's tired, but he's satisfied. 
as it says in Proverbs, satisfied with the fruit of his work. He's satisfied. Man, I worked hard today and I got a lot of th things done. And there's no doubt that a hardworking person is going to get a lot more done than just the person who's working. Because there's a difference. All of you have been around enough, especially those at the work fields, to say that person works hard and that person don't work quite as hard. And God wants us as Christians to be ones who are hardworking. We're a good example. Jesus, of course, was hardworking. Man, he was going day and night. Many times you read about how he was going all night praying with the disciples. All that happened. I mean, it's amazing. I like what it says about Paul. It says he spent his life for the Lord. He spent his life. His life was spent. And so God wants us to be ones who are hardworking. Next, next one, take initiative. Person who takes initiative sees a need. He sees a problem. He knows that some person is hurting and he does what he can to help. He has an idea of what to do, the desire to do it, and then he does it. Maybe something that he says, maybe something that he does. It may be simple if you're with some people someplace, a meeting or wherever, and hey, there's a need for water. So you go get some water for people. That's real simple. Maybe that you see somebody who's discouraged. It's obvious by the look on their face. Man, something's going on there. You talk to them. Take initiative. You're not afraid to break the ice and ask that question. Hey, how's it going? Or if you're with an unbeliever, you say, God, help me. And you take initiative and you share the gospel or give a tract or whatever God might lead you to do. In all this, you're not just thinking about yourself. You're not being selfish. You're thinking about that other person and you're observant. You're using your eyes. You're seeing things and you're hearing things and you take initiative you do what you can to help in that particular situation. And all this should be led by the Spirit. That is, the Spirit is prompting you to say something or do something. That is, a person who takes initiative does not have to be told what to do. Oftentimes we can be that person, oh, I'm going to just wait. Somebody tells you, no, you get, you got to learn to take initiative. And I have to wait. Let the Spirit prompt you. That's what we're saying here. God puts every one of you in situations where there's some kind of need, and he wants you to take initiative. He wants you to do what you can to meet the, meet the need, to solve the problem, whatever it is. Every one of you, it's going to happen. You're there. Esther 4, for such a time as this. 414, a good, good little phrase. For such a time as this. There she was. She had to do what she could do. And oftentimes, too, then God puts you in situations where you've got to do what you've got to do. And he'll tell you. I want to look at one example. Turn to 1 Samuel 25. This is, this is one of my favorites on this. It's the story of Abigail, a godly woman. Had a foolish, evil husband. First Samuel twenty-five. I just want to read a few verses to give you the idea. First uh, verses eighteen and nineteen. First Samuel twenty-five, eighteen and nineteen. And and what had happened is 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 David was doing good things. He had a band of men at that time, and he wasn't really leading the country, but he needed some provisions and some help and. And Nabal wasn't willing to do that. And, and Abigail understands what her husband's life. But verse 18, she says this. She says, um, Abigail hurried. She wanted to help David and his men. And took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. She said to her young man, Come, go on before me. Behold, I'm coming after you but she did not tell her husband Nabal. So there's this issue. She wanted to help David and his men. So she hurried. You see this quality. She was one not just to be a slow person. She was not a slow person. She's the kind that got things done. 
23 to 25. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Oh, oh on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, that is her husband. For as his name, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young man of my Lord whom you sent. So again, she's just trying to help out. Finally, 33-34, David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who you sent, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David's going to kill Nabal and the people there, but here's Abigail. She took initiative. She intervened, and God used her. Next, be zealous. A zealous person has energy, physical, mental, spiritual energy. You could say it this way. You go to Mark 12, 30, it talks about love. It says love with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's a zealous person. That's what we're talking about here. A zealous person it is hardworking. He's determined. He's excited. He's energetic. He's passionate. He loves to work. Might be zeal with with uh, a relationship. Might be zeal at, at, at a particular job you're working at. Might be zeal at a particular task you're doing. Might be zeal in holiness. Remember the story of Phineas, back in the times of Moses. And there's a couple people immoral sinning in their tent. He took a spear, drove it through them both at the same time, and killed them. It's Psalm 106:30 commends Phineas for that righteous act. I like this verse in Second. Kings 10, 16, talking about zeal, probably one of the better examples in the Bible of a person who's zealous, but he says there in that verse, he says, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. You read chapters 9 and 10, and this guy was zealous. He is, well, you can't, you can't, you just got to read it sometime. It's sort of encouraging. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Then you got Romans 12, 20, 12, 11, where we're commanded to be Fervent in spirit, which is another word for zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That's what God wants. He wants us to be ones who are zealous people, not lethargic, but zealous, excited about the work we're doing. Next, be flexible. God wants us to plan ahead, but he also wants us to be flexible, to be willing to change, to be willing to adapt, be willing to take a different course, to not be so fixated on what we're doing that we can't change what we're doing or the plans that God wants us to do. I think of this example. I go to a camp once in a while. Get with the Lord. It's a Baptist camp up there off Bears in Lake Magdalene, but there's this tree there. It's a live oak, and I, 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 lo I love trees in general, but the live oak is one of my favorites, but this one, I really like this tree, and it's, it's a big tree. You know, you've seen the live oaks, you know, and and the branches sprawling all over vertically and horizontally. Well, I'm talking here about the horizontal branch, okay? We go about eight foot up the main trunk of the tree. You've got this branch. It's probably about 18 to 20 inches in diameter coming out of the trunk. And it goes for 60 feet. I measured it. I walked it off. So I'm gonna, I wanted to share this example. You walk it off, and it starts off, and it goes up a little bit, and then it goes down until finally the leaves of this branch, 60 feet out, are touching the ground, okay? 
So it's just this big branch. But here's the point. I always do, I do this every time. I just like do it. I, I grab, it's about shoulder high. I grab the branch at this point in time and, and, I, and I pull on it. And I can make that go in a circle. I can make that go up and down any way I want. It is so flexible. It's flexible and strong, which is a, what we should be. We should be like that branch. Flexibility. But yet we're strong. I just love it. You, you have to go out there sometime. It's just, or try any, do any tree like that that's a live oak. You'll see what I mean. I think you, a lot of you know what I mean by this, but the flexibility God wants us to have. Proverbs 16, 9 says, man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. One of the best single verses on that. Plan your way. Get up in the morning and say, God, what are you doing? Plan your way. And, and God then oftentimes, in fact, quite a bit of the times, changes our, our steps. I encourage you to, to plan ahead. But if God changes your plans, be ready and willing to do whatever you want. It could be at home. It could be a church situation. It could be with at work. Your boss says, hey, I want you to do this. Okay. Don't be rigid. Be flexible. Be flexible before the Lord, before others who are in authority over you. You can only do God's will. I mean, really, truly, as you go through life, you can only do God's will if you're flexible because there will be times in your life when God will change what he wants you to do. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. you got to have in your mind, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. I'm flexible. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to adapt. I'm willing to change the course you have me on. The, the, the best, I think one of the best examples of this is go back to Numbers 9. I want you to see this and never forget it. Numbers 9, it's, it's, just, it's just classy. Two different chapters in Numbers to illustrate this point here. Verse um, 16 to 18 and then 22. Chapter 9, verse 16. He's it, talking here, and you know the story, but talk about how God was going to lead the Jews through the desert, okay? He says in verse 16, it was continuously the cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. So the cloud by day would lead him and the fire at night would lead him. That's how they were led. It goes on, it says, whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel was then set out in the place where the cloud settled down there, the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would be set out. The command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camp, verse 22. Whether it was two days or a month or a year, that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it. The sons of Israel may, remained camped and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. So who was in charge? God. God led them. And for the whole 40 years, cloud by day, fire by night, and they were flexible. Turn to Psalm, excuse me, Numbers 33. And it illustrates this point here. 33, 17 to 23, just a few lines to give the picture. I, I, I've counted a, a couple times, and I, and I believe it's, I think, right at 40 different places that they uh, stayed at. Maybe 41, but you can count yourself, but it's right around 40. 17 to 20, 23, just a few examples. They journeyed from Kilbroth, Hatava, and camped at Hezeroth. They journeyed from Hezeroth and camped at Rithmoth. They journeyed from Rithmoth and camped at Ramon Perez. They journeyed from Ramon Perez and camped at Libna. They journeyed from Libna and they camped at Rissa. They journeyed from Rissa and camped at Kehelatha. They journeyed from Kehelatha and camped at Mount Shepher. But there's another whole lot more there. I just love this. God led them for the 40 years in all these places they should go by fire by night, by cloud by day. 
that's what happened. Again, this whole truth and principle of flexibility, which is important for your life. Next, be giving. A giving person realizes that what he has that is good is from God. It says it simply here in James 1. says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Good things are from God. That's the first point. Or secondly, a giving person realizes that he has freely received from God, that what he has from God is something he did not earn or deserve. Now, in, in the world, you all understand, we, we talk about ownership. That's the way the world looks at stuff. There's, you own a car, you own a house, you own some possessions. That, that's fine. But from God's point of view, what does God say? You don't own a thing. You don't own one single thing. You're a steward. You're in charge. God loans it out to you for whether it's a few days or weeks or 10 years or 20, whatever it is. That's important to understand. You don't own one single thing. It's God's. But you're to be a steward. You're to be a good steward. You're to manage what God has given you in a wise way. There's no doubt about that. I love this truth. I'm a steward. God wants me to be in charge of these things. They should sober you up. It help you to use the things wisely. A giving person then knows it's more blessed to give than to receive. You get something. You might feel good for a little while, then you got empty feeling again. But when you give, when you get something, when you receive something, when you give something, you feel good about it. You know what I mean? You ever given something to somebody? Just feel good about it, and that good feeling don't usually go away right away. You good? Hey, man, was, I had something I could give it. I gave it, and it, it's a blessing. More blessed to give than to receive. A giving person understands that if he gives to another person, then God will then keep giving to him, so he can keep giving to others. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound so that in all things, at all times, you'll have an abundance for every good deed. In context, the word deed means giving. God will give you everything you need so you can keep giving to others. God wants us to be channels. You all understand channels. You understand pipes. Sometimes pipes get stopped up, right? Stopped up. You don't want to be a stopped up pipe. You want to be a channel. Goods of God, the things of God flow through you, yourself, to others. As you go through life, be a giver. Give your time, give your money, give food. Use your spiritual abilities and gifts. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to be one, as it says in in 2 Corinthians there, 8 and 9. Be a willing and cheerful giver. Not grudgingly. It says, God loves a cheerful giver. So again, this attitude of being a giving type of person. And again, as you go through life, you know, we're all in our own little lives, our own little circles, our own little families. We have so many people we know. God will run you into people that he wants you to give them something. It's going to happen. So be thinking about that. What can I give? And, and really, it's, it's that verse in Proverbs. I don't remember the actual location. It says, man's gift makes room for him. Is You give to other people, it really, really helps your relationship. It really does. It opens up doors. Next, be sacrificial. This is related. Sacrificial person is a giving person. The sacrifice means you're giving up something that you really like, that's valuable to you, but you give it to someone else who's in need. And God wants Christians to be ones who are sacrificial. It's one thing to give, but it's another thing to be sacrificial. I'm not going to read it here, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, talks about the Macedonians, how they're very, very sacrificial. They gave beyond their ability, it says. That's one way to talk about it. Sacrificial person is not selfish. He's but a, he's a servant. He's not thinking about what he wants. 
but he's thinking about what others need. Sacrifice a person sacrifices his money, he sacrifices his sleep, he sacrifices his time, he sacrifices his resources, he sacrifices his personal desires for others. It hurts to sacrifice. But I tell you again, like I said before about giving, you sacrifice, God encourages your heart. You feel good about giving something else that you have that, man, you know, whatever. Sacrifice for others. Turn to Ephesians 5.1. Best example of sacrifice, of course, is the Lord Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So your example, your number one example is the Lord Jesus himself. He's an example. So we see the heart of a sacrificial person. We see it here in Christ when they love others with an agape-type love. That it is this you're sacrificing something. This agape love is that which must be in your heart. We will sacrifice for others. Then when we love others like Jesus loves us. Sometimes it's hard because, hey, I want this. Well, Jesus gave everything he had for us. Might we be like Jesus? Might we be sacrificial? Might we be loving with an agape love? That's, that's what will motivate us. Next one, be hopeful. Hopeful person's a forward looking person. He's not stuck in the past. He's not stuck in the present. I don't mean you don't live in the present. Of course we have to live in the present. We live in the here and now, but you're not stuck in just this today. You're thinking ahead. You're thinking about the future. And you're believing that good days are ahead. That's a key point. Not just thinking about the future, but you're positive. You're excited about the future. You're believing that good days are ahead. Some people are bogged down in the past. The problems of the past are, affect them. They upset them. They drag them down. You might know people like that. Boy, the, the past is just like a ball and chain in their foot. And they don't believe good days are coming. They're all is bad and sad and woe is me and misery. That's the way they are. A person may think that the past, that the good old days were much better than the present. Man, this present is hard. There's conflicts and difficulties and trials and there's sickness, and I don't like this. God doesn't want us to think that way. In every one of these situations, a person needs hope, that he needs then to be one who is hopeful, believing then that God has a good future for you, whether that's here on this earth, and for sure, of course, in the ages to come. Hopeful person believes that God's in control, that God is sovereign, that God will get him through the trials that he is going through, that everything's going to work out, and that better days are ahead. Now, this, this kind of attitude is the kind that sometimes God's got to work with you on it. You don't just flip that switch in your head. Man, I gotta, I'm really hopeful. Maybe there's been a lot of hard things in your life in the past, and they keep dragging you, and God's got to help you to process through that. And it may take a few days or a few weeks or maybe even longer to process and see that God indeed is working all things together for good. He really, truly is doing that. But, of course, it also relates to life after this, after life on earth when you're in heaven. Then there, is, there are no problems. No problems. Everything is perfect, wonderful, and glorious. 
No more fears or death or crying or pain or mourning, as it says in Revelation 21. None of that. We need to know this. We need to think about this. This is so, so important. In my post I put out yesterday, it's about this. It's about Philippians. It's amazing. It's an amazing little book, and most people don't see it. I think it was eight or nine different references in that little four-chapter epistle about hope. Because Paul wanted the Philippians to understand that he had hope. He was in jail when he wrote that book. He had hope. person who has hope believes that God is loving and that God has good plans for his life. He's not trusting himself, but he's trusting in God. He's believing that God's going to come through for him. One of the keys, and we've talked about this, but I need to remind you again, one of the keys to having hope is to have promises. Promises are forward looking verses. Promises aren't talking about the past, they're talking about the future. Okay, I will lead you in the way you should go, Psalm 32, 8. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. These are forward looking verses. Behold, he is coming soon, Revelation 22, 12. So many. You need promises to keep you forward looking, to keep you hopeful, to keep you positive with respect to that. Next, be considerate. This is one way to love others. You're thinking about them and what they need or what they want. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. This is probably the couple of the best verses on really thinking about others. Uh, typically, uh, if you're an unbeliever, you're thinking about yourself pretty much most of the time. The Christian who's growing is one who learns to start thinking about others not just focused on himself. Mature Christian, a growing Christian, thinks about others. Verse 3 three and 4, Do nothing, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now that's a good verse. You go through the day and think about others as being more important than yourself. Then verse 4, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Of course, you've got to take care of it. You've got to feed yourself and bathe yourself. And you got to do, you got to work, of course. But still this mindset where you're thinking about others. So this considerate means you're looking out for the other person. What they would like. They could, you know, could be big type things or small type things. I'm going to mention more small type things here, but it means you're not being rude. You're being polite. You have good manners. You know where you learn this? Starts in the home. Home, parents, children, brothers, sisters. Are you kind to them? Are you mannerly? Are you polite to your siblings? Happens at work, too. You know, there's all kinds of situations where you can be considerate. Simple as open the door for the other person. Simple if you're home. Some couples, families have discussions or maybe more heated discussions. Talking about heat and cold. You're willing to turn the temperature up or down according to what they like. Up or down. What do they want? Well, if I put a sweater on, I put a sweater on. If I take my sweater off, take my sweater off, okay? What do they like? Simple. It means if you call someone on the phone, you ask them if it's a good time to talk. Sometimes people won't realize that when you call somebody, you're intruding on their life. I'm not saying a bad way. You might have something good to say, but get permission. Hey, is this a good time to talk now? If they say no, okay, well, I'll call some other time. When's a better time? You get, just being considered, that's all. It means if you have something, somebody over for supper, you think about, well, what do they like to eat? 
what kind of meal? Not, well, I'm going to try some of my latest thing here, and hopefully I like it, hopefully they like it. No, what do they like? That's being considerate. There are so many opportunities to be considerate, to be polite, to be manly towards other people, and it all relates to really just being loving towards them. Next, be joyful. Last one we'll look at here. Very important attitude that God wants Christians to have. And God wants you to have joy all the time. This might seem impossible, and it is in your own flesh. No matter what is happening, God wants you to have joy. He says, rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4.4. 4. And so true joy then relates to the Lord. It's dependent on him. It's not dependent on yourself or on any circumstance or situations or how you're feeling or, well, I'm sick today. I don't need to be joyful. No. Joyful even when you're sick. Joyful even when you're tired. Joyful even if somebody said something they shouldn't have said to you, okay? Joyful all the time. James 1.2 says, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. God wants us to have joy in spite of our circumstances. And there's no doubt that you'll be tested on this one this week. Something's not going to go right the way you want. Something's going to happen. Trial, whatever. And you're going to be tempted to grumble or complain. God says, rejoice always. So I, I'm sure we'd come back together next week and I could say, okay, what were the situations? Well, here's one that happened. Here's happened. Well, how'd you do? <laughs> how'd you do? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But number two, after love, is joy. That means it's very, very important. The joy. It's only by the Spirit, only by the supernatural power of God working in you. So, And this is the kind of thing, because I've known people like this, um, where I've known them over the course of years, and they're Christians. But they're more that grumbling, complaining type of Christian. You know what I'm saying? That's, not to say personality, well, more than that, that's their character. God says, no, rejoice, rejoice. And so that's one where God's going to have to help you over time to learn how to rejoice more. Again, it's the difference between being rejoicing and being happy. I'm not saying being happy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Happiness relates to your situation, your circumstances, just how you feel on that day. That's what that is. Having joy also relates to knowing the truth. I want you to turn to Psalm 13, 1 through 6. Just a few examples here, because it is such an important one. This, this is one of those psalms where this, this psalm was he's wiped out. The writer is wiped out. Not doing so good. Things turn out good at the end. But it's only six verses. That's why it's so instructive. Verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? I, I can't help but think that, that every one of you, at least to some degree, have felt like this before. This is pretty normal condition that we can have Feeling like God has left us, God's abandoned us. So that's, that's the problem, verses 1 and 2. Let me get to the prayer, verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, and lighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. He knew he needed God's help. He wasn't going to get himself out of this problem on his own. 
and my enemy will say I've overcome him. My adversaries will rejoice when I'm shaken. So, so what you do is you pray. So if you're having a hard time, you're doing a little grumbling, complaining, then, Lord, you got to help me here. you got to change my attitude. Verse 5 and 6, the answer. I have trusted in your loving kindness. You have faith that God loves you, no matter the circumstances. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in the fact that you're saved. It says in Luke 10, 20, it says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. We can't tend to be people that rejoice in our circumstances, whether it's something worldly or earthly or whether it's something even spiritual. God says, bottom line, rejoice that you're going to heaven. Rejoice that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, saved your soul from sin and death. That's verse 5. I've trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So whether you feel like singing or not, you sing. You sing. It's very important. This is a simple thing. Simple instruction here. You learn to sing whether you feel like it or not. Three things. Trust in his loving kindness. Rejoice in your salvation. And you sing to the Lord. So if you're not rejoicing, go right here. This will help. A few more things. We can also rejoice because we know that God reigns, that God's ruling, that God's in complete control. So you know God's in charge. He's sovereign. This is another principle for rejoicing. It says there in Psalm 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Very simple. He's reigning. We see all kinds of problems. If you've got your eyes half, wide, half open, you can see well, a lot of problems out there. A lot of problems. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Finally, turn to Psalm 68. One more example here. Psalm 68.1 says, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be glad, let them exult before God. Yes, let them rejoice with gladness. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. The whole point here is this. We can rejoice, we can be glad, because we know that God will deal with our enemies. Whether that's the devil, whether that's evil people, evil things take place in the world because of the devil and because of evil people. And right now, and I've talked about this before, there's a lot of evil out there. I can't believe the things I'm seeing and hearing. A lot of evil. Rejoice. Go to Psalm 37. Because in due time, in due time, God will judge them. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will be able, you, you, will, you will abide in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's a prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing the element of faith there. Joyful person has faith. He's trusting God. He's not trusting himself. He's not trusting others. He's not trusting in his circumstances. We see again that joy is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not what you can drum up in your own heart. You just can't do it. We see that joy is related to peace and hope. Oftentimes, you know, I'm not going to go through passages to show you this, but that you see this joy is connected to peace and hope. It's here in this verse and it's other places as well, that if a person has joy, there's this peace and hope at the, at the same time. We've talked about 
10 more godly attitudes that God wants every Christian to have. Today we talked about having integrity, being hardworking, being zealous, being flexible, being giving, being sacrificial, being ones who take initiative, being ones who are hopeful, being ones who are considerate, being ones who have a joy. I don't expect you to change in all these things overnight. I would trust that God would, would, would maybe help you focus on one or two or three of these. That's what I would suggest. I, I feel bad. I don't have my notes for you. I'll make sure I'll have them next Sunday for you to pick up and you can have them. But they will be online on the PDF form probably by, I don't know, tonight or tomorrow morning. But anyway, these are necessary. These are necessary for you to have a successful, fruitful, God-glorifying year. And again, I must say this, and we plan uh, in the near future to talk about the Holy Spirit because it's by the Holy Spirit. We can all live by the Spirit, by the grace of God. It's a supernatural thing for God to work these things in your life. So if you go home and say, I'm, boy, I'm, I sort of struck out in all those things. Well, hey, we're but human, okay? If you're a Christian, I can't help but think God has helped you to some degree in some of those. But we need to pray. God wants us to grow. He says in, in Matthew 5, it says, be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. So we should have that desire. I mean, you live quite a few years. You're not just a Christian for a year or two, typically. 50, 60, 70 years. Ask God to help you as you go through time, as you go through the days and the months and the years to grow. That's what God wants for you. And next week, we'll, we'll talk about more of these things. One more thing to mention to pray about, and then we'll, I'll pray here, is uh, Denise's daughter, Laura, had a child, I don't know what day that was, Tuesday? What day? Okay, 26th. And uh, the baby was premature, 20, 21 weeks, 22 weeks, someplace in there, but it's only born at one pound, 14 ounces. So it's, it's doing all right some ways, but there's still distress. She just told me a little bit ago that the heart's got some issues there, fluttering. I'm not sure what that all means. So just keep praying. Uh, at the, I think NICU unit over there at St. Joe's. So just ask the Lord for the family, Denise, Laura, and for little Joseph, I believe is the name. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you for your great love for us. God, we, we thank you that we're your children, and it's by your grace, and it's for your glory. And these things we read about today, it's, you give us your instructions. You tell us how to live. And we've gone through a number of things here and many examples, too, from your word and from life. And we ask you to help us. Lord, if we fail in some areas, help us just be humble. Admit it then be willing and desiring to change and knowing that God is by your spirit and by your grace. We want to be good examples, Lord, to the saved and to the lost. That's what we want. We want to be ones who can influence others. And it is as we have this kind of character, these kind of attitudes. If we're not, we're going to be a bad example. We don't want that. We want to be good examples, godly examples. But, but thank you again, God. You give us your word. You give us your spirit. You give us grace. You give us one another. A church. We have a church family. We thank you so much for that. Thank you for Bethel as well, for their lives, the church, for Raphael, just lead them. But lead us, God, in the ways you have for our church. Lead us as leaders, Lord. Show us all the plans you have for us. Thank you for Steve as he's winding up his time here in Florida, this part of his life, his journey here. He'll be leaving in a few weeks. We pray for him. No, Lord, that he'll come back. He's got 
uh, a work station over there in Lakeland. He'll be here once in a while too, but we thank you for him and his life and all people here, Lord, we thank you so much for, again, your love for us. Just help us, encourage us, strengthen us, protect us from evil, Lord, this evil world. But we thank you that, that the darker the night, the brighter the light, we can be lights for you. Do pray for Joseph, God, little Joseph, that you would help him, Lord. I pray you help the doctors, the nurses to know what to do. Give grace and peace to Lord, to Denise, other family members, Lord. But just pray that you would somehow miraculously come through. We know that he's in your hand. Just this really little baby, one pound, 14 ounces, isn't much. We commit to you. Thank you, Lord, that you watch over all of us. You know all of us physically, spiritually, everything about us. Thank you again that we're all in your hands. We commit all this to you now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.